Amen. Congregation, if you have your Bibles with you, I want to encourage you to open them to 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30. As you're finding your place there in God's Word, I want to do something special this morning. Um, kind of a pastor's prerogative deal. Um, didn't do this last night. Didn't do this 9.30. We're going to do this. It's kind of a one-time deal. Um, so this coming Wednesday, Faith and I will celebrate 20 years of marriage. 20 years. She's been with us. 20 years. So, 20 years, and we, uh, Faith, I know you want to go to the Bahamas. We, we, we're, not, we're not going to the Bahamas. Um, we are going to the Alabama-Tennessee game, which is it's pretty good. Uh, but I, I, I thought I got to do more. So, I wrote you a poem. So, here we go. I got to see if I can hold this guy. I worked hard to not reading through this. So I wouldn't get upset, but here we go. I once saw a beautiful girl that I never knew walk out of a class, which to my surprise was Old Testament Hebrew. She walked with confidence and grace, and soon I would learn that her name was Faith. I never had the courage to introduce myself until one day she, one day she needed a book from the top shelf. I was at a loss for words when she asked me to assist, but her sweet southern accent was too much to resist. I reluctantly asked if I could walk her to chapel, fearing my boldness would cause this short friendship to completely unravel. But with a sweet smile, she simply said yes, and I thought to myself, she probably thinks this guy's a mess. The walks and talks between class felt like heaven, and we prayed our first prayer together when the towers came down on 9-11. Fall became winter, winter grew into spring, and more and more I uh, began to think about buying a ring. I talked with her mom, her brothers, and finally her dad, and it was clear if I harmed her, for me it would be really bad. <laughs> you see, they have guns in their trucks, and they shot lots of bucks, and if she got hurt, it was safe to assume I'd be six feet under dead in a tomb. So with this warning in mind, I moved forward with a plan to ask the most beautiful woman I knew to give me her hand. I prepared and I prayed and I rehearsed all my lines and got down on one knee at Alabama's Denny Chimes. I knew her so well, but I could never have guessed that to this dumb Oklahoma boy, she'd ever say yes. At Tannehill Valley Baptist Church on a hot August day, we made vows, exchanged rings, and got on our knees to pray that God would be gracious and help us to be a marriage that serves him anywhere he might lead. We set out with a heart to go to Tibet, but God had other plans, so to Montgomery we went. Faith gave her heart to serve with Alabama WMU, and as time went by, God always came through. And then one day, Faith took a test, and with the addition of a baby boy, we found out we'd be blessed. Wyatt was born, I scared half to death, but that old southern nurse said, hold him like a football and take a deep breath. <laughs> From Jackson Hospital, we drove home that day, 
And again, God had given a gift that we could never repay. Soon Faith quit her job to stay at home and be a mother, and the seasons went by, and soon it was summer. Then God opened a door to serve as a senior pastor, and our lives turned a page to begin a new chapter. To the people of FBC Valley, we committed to serve, and we prayed, Lord, please help me be the pastor they deserve. Faith was a rock through thick and through thin to encourage and prod when the light in my heart grew dim. We worked and we prayed that Jesus would move, and with each new baptism, God's faithfulness was proved. And soon, God would give us another boy we named Walker. And I'm a bit ashamed to say I was glad he wasn't a daughter. (laughs) And through this strong, strong woman, God built a family with two boys just like her. And praise God, not much like me. In the Valley of Alabama, we worked hard for years. But when God said go, we said our goodbyes and shed a lot of tears. But with no doubt in our hearts that this path was from God, we both had to admit that moving to Kansas City seemed kind of odd. But again, we set down roots and committed to stay in a city called Greenwood, faithful to God, come what may. But then came a call from Pastor Steve Dighton. And when that man's got a plan, with him there's no fighting. (laughs) So we rolled up our sleeves to begin a new task with a staff full of friends that were always there when we asked. And each day I've realized afresh and anew, Faith, I've got no idea where I'd be without you. Being with you is the best part of my day, but I know with me there's a lot of days you just want to run away. But I know I, I know that our marriage will not be undone because in your heart, Jesus is number one. So here we are, year number 10, 20, and the blessings you brought me have been way more than plenty. And I still can't understand why with you I've been blessed. And when it came to a wife, God gave me the best. (laughs) Thank you, babe. Still doesn't get this to the Bahamas, but the best I could do. (laughs) First Samuel chapter 30. When we, when we left off, David had been rescued. You remember God had intervened in a miraculous way. God moved through the enemy. God worked through the enemy of the Philistines to bring salvation to David. Really, in so many ways, the more I study this, the more I realize that God really rescued David from himself. Don't we often find that to be the case, that more often not, we just need to be rescued from us. We're our own worst enemy so many times. God saved David from himself, and God plucked him out. Even when, when, when David was, was faithless, God was faithful. Don't you love this? David is not really, we're going to talk about this more, but David's not really walking in close intimacy with the Lord. We don't see him mention the Lord much, not seeking the Lord, praying. But even when David was about to step in a mess, God just plucks him out. Isn't God's mercy great? Sometimes he just plucks us out, even when we don't really know it, we know we need it. And now they're headed home. Home (laughs) is a relative term. They're headed to Ziklag. I I don't even like the name Ziklag. I don't think David did either. Ziklag. It wasn't home, it wasn't Judah, uh, but it was better than a cave. 
And that's where they're living at. They're, but they're going home. They're not excited about going back to Ziklag, but what are they excited about? They're excited about seeing their wives and their families. And it looks like now that, that God has rescued. There might be a little light at the end of the tunnel, but just when they thought things couldn't get worse, they do. You ever been there? You think to yourself, it can't get any worse than this. In our family, we don't say that. Faith will stop me. Don't, 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 don't you say that because it can get worse, can't it? It can always get worse. And sometimes God uses these painful experiences in our lives to teach us. God's going to use it in David's life to instruct David, to grow David, but also to instruct us. He's going to give us an example. This is, this is the example this morning. This is the example. God's going to show us what to do when you hit rock bottom. Through David, you're going to get a picture. You're going to get a pattern. You're going to get a playbook for what you do when you hit rock bottom. Let's pray together. We'll work our way through this text. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to go to your word this morning. God, what a blessing to come to your word and know that you revealed yourself to us and your word is living and active. It speaks into us in our lives individually. You've spoken to me this week. You've convicted me of sin. There's been areas where I've had to repent. Lord, I, I'm so grateful you're a whole lot better at application than me. So I, I don't know what everybody needs. I don't know their background. I don't know where they're at, what they're going through, but you do. I believe you have a word for them today. So I pray by your spirit you'd apply these, these truths to their life to encourage them wherever they might find themselves. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. Look with me, verses one through three. And then it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had made a raid on the Negev and on Ziklag and had overthrown Ziklag and burned it with fire. And they took captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great, without killing anyone and carried them off and went their way. When David and his men came to the city, behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. So here are the Malachites, they make a raid. Now, please understand, David and his men, they don't know it's the Malachites. They don't even know what's happened to the people that are there. But the Amalekites are the historic enemies of God's people. They had committed all kinds of violence, crimes against the Israelites in the Exodus journey. They're descendants of Esau, and, and they attack, they de destroy everything. You can imagine it. Here's David and his men riding back home. Uh, off in the distance, the horizon, they begin to see some smoke rising. They get very concerned. That's in the area of home. And they probably begin to just break ranks and just run home as fast as they can. And they get home, and they find that everything, everything that they've cherished in this world anyway is gone. The Amalekites have attacked. Why have the Amalekites attacked? Why, why did they attack at this time? Why did they come now? Well, they came at this time because David and his men weren't there. They knew at this time, Ziklag is easy picking because David is not at home. That David in the midst of his wandering, he's not walking closely with the Lord. He's living his life on the basis of his own reason and logic and so in the midst of this Egyptian experience of his life, he's not where he should be. And because he is not where he should be, he has left his home unprotected to the enemy. Fathers, is there a lesson for us here in this text? The message is very simple. When we are not in our place, when we are not feel, fulfilling our primary calling of loving, discipling, and protecting our families, we leave our homes exposed to the enemy. Far too often, a man in a pursuit of a career will focus all of his attention on building a career, leave his family exposed to the enemy, and then one day he comes home only to find out that the en enemy has plundered everything that he held dear. Men, let's not make this mistake.
Let's stand our post. Let's be reminded that the most important thing that God has called us to do is to love our wives and to disciple our children. But note the mercy of God in this, even in the midst of this destruction. It says that, David doesn't know this, but God has preserved the families. It says very clearly, without killing anyone. David has been, they don't know this, but behind the scenes, God has been merciful. I love this. Even in God's discipline, which to some extent this is God's discipline, even in God's discipline, there is mercy, there is grace. I don't know about you, but I'm so grateful that even in the midst of the discipline and the pain that God has brought in my life, there are elements of that discipline that is merciful. And what a great father we serve. He knows just how far to take the discipline, doesn't he? Well, look at verses four and five. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept till there was no strength in them to weep. Now, David's two wives had been taken captive, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. They wept. They, they cried until they could cry no more. And a good reminder here that just because we know the Lord doesn't mean, doesn't mean that we won't shed some tears. Doesn't mean that we won't experience pain. I, I keep this phrase in front of me a lot just in ministry. It's needs to be a phrase you know but you never know what a day will bring you never know what a day will bring you never know what experience you might face but but i can guarantee you today if you walk with god long enough there are going to come some days when you feel like you can cry no more tears and we weep but here here's what we need to be reminded of as the people of god we weep but we don't weep as those who have no hope see this is the difference between the christian and the atheist the atheist there's no purpose in pain it's all chaotic um, that's why we live in a culture today that, that is so scared of any level of pain. We're frightened by pain. We'll, we'll do anything we can to avoid pain. Listen to me. What we know is that the absence of pain is not a good thing. Uh, right now, we've seen outbreak of leprosy, actually. One of the, the, the symptoms, one of the effects of leprosy is that you lose the ability to experience pain. And those who minister the leper colonies will tell you this. You never know how wonderful pain is until you don't have it. See, here's the thing about pain. Pain limits you. It protects you. It keeps you from wandering into destruction. And the pain that God is bringing here in David's life is purposeful. It's a protection. Pain is the place where the people of God are shaped. I guarantee if I talk to any of you today and you would, you would groan in your faith, you're, you're mature in your faith, if I were to tell you how did you grow, where did you find maturity in your faith, I can almost guarantee you wouldn't point me to seasons and stories of great blessing. You would point me to moments of pain and trial. Pain, listen to me, sometimes we, we, we bring it on ourselves in our sin, Sometimes it's just a result of the circumstance. But listen, as believers in Jesus Christ, I've been reading through 2 Corinthians, just doing a deep dive on that. Here's the one thing that I see Paul speaking to the Corinthians in light of some of the heresy that they're facing. It's that pain, listen, pain is a precious investment of God in our lives that God uses to pay dividends down the road. And I'm here to tell you until you realize this, until you're able to realize this, that pain is God's investment, you'll never be able to move forward with purpose and hope. Until you get to the place where you stop saying, God, when will this end? And you start saying, God, what investment are you making in my life? If you never move to that point, you'll only know despair, grief, and hopelessness. 
But when you can get to a place to say, God, what are you trying to teach me? What investment are you making? Then you can move forward with hope. Well, look at verse six. David in this valley of pain and despair. Look at verse six. Moreover, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him for all the people were embittered, each one of uh, one because of his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. The, the, Papa, the David's men, this is an aspect of his reign and his ministry we never think about. There's a moment here when his men are mutinied against him. David, I'm sure that they're aggravated. David, you've been provoking, you've been provoking the Amalekites. You've been picking at them. You've been fighting against them. They're mad at us. Obviously, they're mad at us because you keep fighting them. Now, we know that fighting the Amalekites, they were enemies of God's people. That's what David was supposed to do. But I'm sure in this moment where they're sitting, it just looks like he's been poking these folks and you brought this on us. Not to mention the fact you got all gooped up with these Philistines and we weren't even home when they came to ransack us. And so all they know to do is blame the person in front of them because they got a somebody has to pay for this. Somebody's responsible. And the only person that they can see in front of them right now is David. And David, this is amazing to me, he faces the prospect of of ending it right here. At the hands of his, he's been called as God's anointed. He's on this path. And right here, it looks like his own men. What a sad way to end it. His own men mutiny against him and kill him. Now, I can imagine if you had gone to David on that day and said, David, how's it going? I think he would say, just when I thought it couldn't get any worse, it has. And David could have reacted in any number of ways. Listen, David is a man just like us. We sometimes paint these guys as supernatural heroes. They are men, just like James would say, Elijah is a man just like us. David is a man just like us. There's no doubt in my mind there had to be some moments where David didn't get a little frustrated with God. God, I'm doing what you told me to do. You're the one who anointed me. You set me down this path. You could eliminate Saul at any moment. You put me in this position. He could have gotten mad at God, and a lot of people do. They find themselves in a place of pain and difficulty. They just get mad at God, and they close themselves off from God. It's a dangerous place to be. He could have done what Saul did. You remember Saul? I'm just going to talk to a witch. And David could have said, well, this whole God thing's not working out real well for me, but maybe I, maybe I ought to go talk to some witches. But that's not what David does. We see at the very end of verse six, what does he do? He strengthened himself in the Lord. It's amazing to me that even in this moment when he feels like God is his adversary, even though it feels like God is against him at this moment, he also knows that God is his only hope. And and sometimes, listen to me, this is where we find ourselves. Everything about the circumstances that we're facing in our life feel as if God is trying to hurt us, like almost like God is against us. But those are the times we need to know That those are the moments you cannot run from God. Don't don't cut yourself off from God. But those are the times where we most need to be reminded that we find our strength in him. Those are the moments that we, we must have the faith of a Jacob that says, even though right now you've wrenched my hip out of socket and you're wrestling with me, I'm not gonna let you go till you bless me. Um, Job, yet though he slay me, I'm gonna trust him. I don't care how bad it gets. I don't, know how, I don't care how bad a place of despair. The one thing I will not let go of is God. You better decide that in your heart before the pain comes. Because once you get in the pain, it'll cause you to question whether you should cling. David already made up his mind, I'm clinging. I'm not letting go. And he strengthens himself in the Lord. 
You're my only help. What does it mean to strengthen himself in the Lord? Well, 1 Samuel 23 gives us a little bit of an idea because you remember back then, Jonathan comes to him and it says, Jonathan strengthened him in the Lord. Me, at that moment, this is what really good friends do. You need some of these kinds of friends in your life. People that come to you in moments of despair and they take your hand and they place it in the hand of God and they remind you of the promises of God. Those are really good friends. Then the moments of despair, they don't come and try to give you five ways to get yourself out of the problem. They come to you and say, I'm just gonna give you the promises. I don't know exactly how to get through this, but I can tell you what God's promised to do. And so David here doesn't have a Jonathan. He goes on his own. And I think in strengthening him, Lord, he, he reminds himself of what God has promised to do, that I am the Lord's anointing. Even Saul has said it. It's been confirmed and affirmed so many times in my life, it's ridiculous. And so even now, it looks like a dark day. I'm gonna trust that promise. Listen, when life is chaotic, when everything seems to be crumbling around you, cling to the promises of God. Go to scripture and find God's promises to you. Underline those promises, highlight those promises, memorize those promises, meditate on those promises and determine in your heart that God, I'm just gonna cling these promises because God, here's what I know. I don't know a lot of things, but I know you're faithful. See, this thing about God, he's got a pretty good track record. He has never once dropped the ball. And I'm going to guarantee you, you're not going to be the first. So you just go to those promises, you cling. Sometimes all we have is the word of God and his promises. We hold on. That, that is the successful Christian life. Listen, the successful Christian life is just the person who just holds on. <laughs> Listen, I sometimes think I'm going to make it in heaven, tattered, beaten, worn out, just clinging. Just clinging. The, mark, the true mark of the believer is perseverance, not perfection. They just don't give up. They just keep grasping. And let me remind you of this, what David knows, well, he doesn't know, but what we see in this is, is, a, is an important principle. When is it the darkest time of the day? What is the darkest time of the day? Just before the dawn. And please let me remind you that when you are in a dark place, there is a very good chance that you are on the verge of a miracle. Here's what I know in scripture. Dark times often precede great seasons of fruitfulness. You might just be on the verge of seeing God move in a way you've never seen before. David, he's gonna have this dark season, but, but he's about to be encouraged in some amazing ways. There's gonna be rep restoration. In the very next chapter, God's gonna eliminate Saul. There's gonna be a path to the throne that will become clear. All of Israel will assemble. He'll ascend to the throne. David can't see that in this place. You, you ever, I do this, some, you make a deal with God. You ever done that? I'm ashamed to say, I, I, every now and then. I'll say, God, if you'll just tell me the whole plan, I'll, I, I'll trust you. It'll be easy then. Just give me the comfort now. And, and then I can, I can make it through the trial. I'm here to tell you every time. He says, son, you don't get the comfort till you get in the situation. Because if I gave it to you before, you'd never learn to trust me. What's amazing about this is David's right here. He's... He's clinging by a thread. I think he's about to throw in the towel. It's, it's, it's rough. Well, can I tell you what a picture? I always think this is dangerous because I like to, you know, I like to 
My imagination runs a little wild. I like to picture these things in my mind. Here's what I picture in this situation. It's dangerous because I don't want to impose upon God some qualities that aren't biblical. So, Lord, protect me from heresy here. But let me give you a picture of what I think. This is what went through my mind. God is in heaven looking down at David. And he's peering over the wall of heaven, surrounded by all the angelic realm. And he's saying, David, hold on, brother. Don't you quit on me. You're almost there. You're almost there. You're on the verge of seeing me move in ways you never dreamed. Don't you give up on me. I think God might be saying that to some of you. It's dark. You just might be on the verge of a miracle. The light shining on a new day. You hang in there. You're almost home. Hey, you know what's funny? He's, he's crying and weeping over the loss of Ziklag. 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 He's all tore up, bent out of shape over this junky city that ain't even home. And you know what God's saying to him? Let go of Ziklag. I got something a whole lot better over that horizon. Don't you think God's saying that to us? A lot of times we get so bent out of shape over things in this world and God's saying, just hang on. Brother, this ain't that great. What you're crying over ain't that, ain't that important. I got something better just over the horizon. God is carrying David through. Look at verse 7, 8. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, son of Ahimelech, please bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David. David inquired the Lord, saying, surely I shall overtake uh, Shall I overtake them? And he said, pursue, for you will surely overtake them and you'll surely rescue all. So David, not only is strength the Lord, he goes the word of God. Um, he gets the ephod out. And, and I've done all this research on the ephod. Listen, we don't know about this whole ephod deal. It was their way of discerning to somebody see the urn to them. I, I, I don't, but here, here's what the Lord convicts me of. I don't need to know about the ephod because I got a more certain word right here. And I don't need a biathar because I got a greater high priest in Jesus Christ who has ascended unto heavens and who sympathizes my weaknesses and has defeated the grave and he intercedes on my behalf today. And this is the good news. David has to go get the ephod and he has to go get Abiathar and you and I can turn to the word of God anytime we want. We can enter into the presence of God by the Holy Spirit at any moment of any day. Isn't God good? You find yourself at rock bottom. You turn towards God. You go to his word and you enter into his presence in prayer and he has ways of strengthening you. David, bring the ephod. Dust off the ephod, Biathar. We're gonna talk to the Lord today. And he gets a word from God and what does God say? Go. If I was David, go where? Go. You'll pursue him. Pursue who? Just go. And God pushes him out. But here's the beauty of this. When we, when we, when we, David's not been walking in intimacy and fellowship. Now he is. Now he's turning to the Lord. Here's what we're going to find out. When you're walking in fellowship with the Lord, you open yourself up to unexpected blessings. God can't bless disobedience. He can't do it. Parents, can you bless your children when they're disobedient? Well, you can, but it won't go well for you. But when your children are walking in obedience and fellowship, oh, now you're freed up to do all kinds of blessed things. God is a good father. He can't bless disobedience. But now as David begins to walk in 
obedience, God has ways and means of giving unexpected blessing. It's, it's like David is now running with the wind at his back. Well, look at verses uh, 9 through 15, and we're going to blaze through some of this. It says, though David went, and he and 600 men who were with him, and they came to the brook Basar, where those left behind remained. But David pursued, and he and 400 men, um, for 200 who were too exhausted to cross the brook, Basar remained behind. Now they find an Egyptian in the field, brought him to David, gave him bread, and he ate, and they provided him water to drink. They gave him a piece uh, of fig cake, two clusters of raisins. He ate, and his spirit revived, for he had not eaten bread nor drunk water for three days and three nights. David said to him, to whom do you belong? Where are you, where are you from? He said, I'm a young man of Egypt, a servant of an Amalekite. My master left me behind when I fell sick three days ago. We made a raid on the Negev, the uh, Cherethites, and on that which belongs to Judah, on the Negev of Caleb, and we burned Ziglag with fire. Then David said to him, will you bring me down to this band? And he said, swear to me by God that you'll not kill me or deliver me into the hands of my master, and I'll bring you down uh, to this band. David is pursuing. He just heads off out in the distance. He doesn't know where to go. He doesn't even know who he's going after. And it's an incredibly dangerous territory because if you read in the story, you know that David's made a whole lot of enemies out there in Negev. A lot of people don't like him. But in obedience to God, he sets out in faith, just trusting the promises of God. I love this very Abrahamic faith, but imagine if you were to ask David as he sets out, David, where are you going? I, I'm not real sure. Who are you chasing? I don't really know. How are you going to find them? I don't have a clue. All I know is God said, go get them. And I'm trusting that he's gonna give me clarity and vision and protection along the way. Listen to me, this is the normative Christian experience. Every hero of faith, at some point or another, they had to leave, they had to go, they had to get outside their comfort zone, leave and go, and they had to go not knowing where they were going and not even knowing what they were fully getting themselves into, but simply trusting that God had something better for them, something good for them as they set out in obedience to him. That's what we do. In this moment, God says, I'm not gonna tell you all, but here's what I know. Go. Go get them. Leave. They leave. David sets out. What happens? He comes upon an Egyptian. This Egyptian, he's not supposed to be there. He, he probably appears to be of no use to these people. David stops. He's a man of compassion, even though he's on a mission. I love this. David doesn't stop being a man of compassion, even though he's in a hurry. Here's a man in need. He stops to help him, begins to ask him uh, some questions. They revive him. Where do you belong? Where are you from? I'm a servant to an Amalekite. That's a trigger word for David, Amalekite, huh? That's interesting. They left me here for dead. Amalekite, what, what are you doing? What, what have you been doing? We were raiding. We took people, Ziklag. And in the midst of the chaos, David, uh, as he walks in obedience, he gets clarity in the midst of his confusion. Make no mistake, this is not luck, this is not chance, this is what you call the providence of God. When you and I are walking in faithfulness and obedience, we open ourselves up to the blessings of God. He begins to direct, he begins to do things that are supernatural and provide us direction and provision as we go to fulfill what he told us to do. But he doesn't give us that prior to, he gives it to us as we go. So David goes, God begins to bless, look at 16 through 20. When he had brought him down, behold, they were spread all over the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil that they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. David slaughtered them from twilight until evening the next day. Not a man of them escaped, except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken and rescued his two wives, but nothing of theirs was missing. Whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that they had taken for themselves. David brought it all back. So David had captured all the sheep and cattle which the people drove ahead of the other livestock. And they said, this is David's spoil. 
God gives to him total victory. Isn't this amazing? Not only gives him total victory, he gives him back everything he had lost. Folks, this is the grace of God. There's important reminders and warnings in this text. One of the warnings is this. When you're not walking in close fellowship with the Lord, and it doesn't even mean that you're walking in blatant disobedience, but when you're not every day walking in close fellowship with the Lord, listen to me, the warning here is you're walking on the precipice of destruction. You're opening yourself up to some bad things. And it's amazing how quickly David falls into a place of despair as he's not walking closely with the Lord. But the other side of this is the great hope that we find is that just as quickly and severely as he lost everything and found himself in a place of despair, as he turned back to God, God quickly restored to him all that he had lost. And listen, that is the hope of this text, that some of you are in a place right now where you say, I've not been walking with the Lord. I've not been doing what I should. I have regrets. I've made mistakes. I've lost a lot of things. The enemy has plundered my home, and I don't think I'll ever get it back. Listen to me today. God has ways you know not of. And if you'll turn back to him in fellowship and belief, he has ways of giving you back the years the locusts have eaten. You trust in him. You turn back to him. He has ways. He gives David everything back, and even then some. Then look with me at these following verses, 21 through 25, when David came to the 200 men who were too exhausted to follow David and had also been left at the brook baser. And they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. Then David approached the people and greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless men among those who, who went with David said, because they did not go with us, we're not gonna give them any spoil that they've recovered except to every man his wife and his children that they may lead them away to part. Then David said, you must not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us, who has kept us and delivered us, uh, delivered in our hand the band that came against us, and who will listen to you in this matter? For as his share is who goes down to the battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. They shall share alike. So it has been from that day forward that he made a statute, an ordinance for the Israel to this day. So here, here's, <laughs> David has, 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 has experienced the grace of God. He, he, he comes back from this victory. You can just picture this. They're riding back, and here's these 200 guys that stay with the baggage. And the, the, the men that just fought the battle, they risked their lives. Uh, they did all this work, and they see these guys sitting, lazy, out of shape, folks, too exhausted, couldn't do nothing. Uh, they ain't getting nothing. They ain't getting none of this spoiled. Not if I haven't said anything about it, because they didn't do all the work that we did. And David stops him, and this is powerful. Man, God is shaping David. See, David understands something. David understands that all that they have experienced is not by their own ingenuity or his great power or his great might. He understands that everything that God has just done is only because of God's grace. See, they're saying they don't deserve it. You know what David's saying? None of us deserve anything. We all deserve despair and death and, and, and despair. We, that's what we all deserve. But God was gracious and, and God has blessed us and God has given. We didn't, I think David looked at these guys, quit joking yourself. The guys were drunk when we showed up. You're not that great of warriors. They were just really drunk. God won this victory. And see, here's what happens when you, when you have been, when you've experienced and tasted the grace of God in your life when you realize where you came from and what you should have deserved and what you didn't get through the grace of God, you tend to become a very gracious person with other people. And that's what David's doing here. David's men are saying, we're gonna be a works-based kingdom. 
And David says, no, sir, my kingdom, God's kingdom will not be marked by works. It won't be marked by fairness. It'll be marked by grace. Because if any of us have anything, it's only by the grace of God. Amazing. And then we're not going to read it. They go, they go on. He, he spreads the spoil out in the end of the chapter. He gives it to all these other king, uh, these, these, these folks that are over certain regions of Judah, places that he had been to, probably people that had helped supply him with his needs as he's been on the journey. And he blesses all. And the picture here is some people say, well, he's trying to, he's trying to win favor with these guys because he's about to come king. And he's trying to woo them over from Saul to himself, some great politician. I, I don't really think that's in David's heart. Here's <laughs> Here's what I think. David realizes as God's king, as God's man, his job is to fight the Lord's enemies and to bless the Lord's people. That's what I'm called to do. And David realized something very quick. It's not about me. It's about the Lord. And so if God blesses, guess what? It means all of us are blessed. And we're just gonna share the wealth. We're gonna spread it around. We're gonna bless people. Uh, Matthew Henry said, very few leaders lose confidence with their people. He said, a lot of leaders lose confidence with their people because of pride and arrogance. Is that the case? You ever lost confidence in, one, in a leader in your life because they were just really prideful and arrogant? But he says, rarely does a man lose confidence with his people because of courtesy and grace. I'd be willing to bet most of you have never said, well, I'm not following that guy because he's just so doggone gracious. We love those people. You see, Saul was a man who used. It was all about Saul. David is a man who blesses. It's not about me. It's about God's grace and being a conduit of blessing to others. What a powerful picture with David. But the most important thing that we see in this, listen, David is a type of Christ. He's operating in official capacity, but he is a type of Christ. And he is a reminder to us. There's a beautiful reminder as we look to this. When things are the darkest and it seems like all hope is lost and we're at rock bottom, the reminder of this text is that in David, we're reminded not just of the good shepherd, we're reminded of the great shepherd. We're not reminded of the earthly anointed king in David. We're reminded of God's heavenly king and anointed Messiah, Jesus Christ, who came and will come. And will Christ come one day and put down all the enemies of God? Put them all down there. The Malachites represent the ultimate enemies of God's people, which is sin, Satan, and death. And, 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 and Christ will return one day in a valley called Armageddon. And he's going to put down all the enemies of God. And he will rescue all God's people. Not one of them gets away. And he brings them home. And when things are the darkest, that's what we remember. That our king is coming. David's men, it was a bad day. But will David reign? You bet he will. Will they reign with him? Yes, they will. We, this day, it's not always easy. Affliction, pain. But will Christ reign on this earth? Do you believe that? I do. That's my hope. I'm trusting in that. So I'm gonna endure the pain because one day I'll reign with Christ my King. Let me just give you a poem I read this week. I thought it was so good, in The Mist of Dark Days. And then we're gonna partake communion. It's written by a, name, a guy named William Cowper. It's amazing. I tell folks I, uh, 
when I started incorporating hymns, I started getting a lot of books on hymns. People would drop them off and mail them to me. And, and so I got all these books. I, I sometimes will pull them out and read them. It's fun stuff. Man, you learn so much reading about these hymns. But I read about this guy named William Cowper. And William Cowper battled depression pretty much uh, the vast majority of his life. In fact, he attempted suicide on three occasions. He had a hard life. Um, can't even go into all the, the trials and the afflictions and the difficulty he faced. But he, he found himself at one occasion in an asylum under the care of a doctor who just so happened to be a Christian. That doctor ended up sharing the gospel with William Cowper, and he came to faith in Jesus Christ. When he got out of the asylum, they assigned him with a home couple. This guy was, uh, um, he, he was a, a lawyer. He was going to serve in the House of Commons. I mean, this, this guy was incredibly intelligent, a brilliant leader on this path, battled this depression, almost took him out, came to faith. He gets out. They assign him with a family, and uh, this couple, they're caring for him. And boy, it really was a great season in his life. But the couple, the husband of the couple that was taking care of him, the husband died. And uh, boy, he said that, that depression just rushed back on him again. Until one day, he met a guy named John Newton. And John Newton came alongside of him. And John Newton took William's hand and put it in the hand of God. And William Calfer was strengthened in the Lord. And together, they wrote a whole bunch of hymns. They're called the only hymns, uh, one of which is Amazing Grace. And there is a fountain filled with blood. But there was another one that I'd never really heard before called Sometimes a Light Surprises. And I read this, and I needed to hear it, and I wept in my office. And uh, maybe these words would be an encouragement to you. It says, Sometimes a light surprises the Christian while he sings. It is the Lord who rises with healing in his wings. When comforts are declining, he grants the soul again a season of clear shining to cheer it after rain. In holy contemplation, we sweetly then pursue the theme of God's salvation and find it ever new. Set free from present sorrow, we cheerfully can say, even let the unknown tomorrow bring whatever it may. It can bring with it nothing, but he will bear us through. Who gives the lilies clothing, he'll clothe his people too. Beneath the spreading heavens, no creature but is fed. And he who feeds the ravens will give his children bread. Listen to this. Though vine nor fig tree neither, their wanton fruit should bear. Though all the fields should wither, nor flocks nor herds be there, yet God the same abiding, his praise shall tune my voice, for while in him confiding, I cannot help but rejoice. And that's the joy that can only be found in Christ. Father, we thank you. Every page of your word points us to our perfect Savior, Jesus Christ. It's a reminder that a king is coming. A king has come. He defeated sin, Satan, and death, and his death and resurrection on the cross, and he has provided a way of salvation for all who would trust in him. He's done all the work. It's a kingdom of grace. So it's all, all that's left for the sinner to do is to trust in Jesus Christ. 
Lord, I pray if there's somebody that doesn't know you, they would trust in Christ. And they would know the spoils of victory. It's amazing. We don't do any of the work. Christ does all the work. But through faith in him, we get to share in the victory. We get to share in the spoils. His, his, his abundant spoils of victory and blessing overflow into our lives through faith in him. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here that doesn't know him, they trust him. God, for those of us who do know you, I don't know where everybody's at today, what despair they're facing, what situation they're going through. God, I pray that you would encourage them today by your grace to look to you, to be strengthened in you, to be reminded that as we follow you, you have ways of bringing unexpected blessings. And you will give us oftentimes a reminder of that final victory that you will accomplish. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.